You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda from New York City. And this is Prashant Parmaswaran from Washington, D.C. How are you doing this morning, Prashant? Good. How are you doing? Doing well. And we have some big news to discuss in Asia. Uh, I hinted at this at the end of the last podcast we did. But Malaysia's election results um, certainly took much of the world by surprise. Um, I think a lot of people had expected, given decades of uh, gerrymandering and uh, general electoral um, you know, advantage sealing in by the long-ruling Barisan National, uh, that the results were fairly predictable, that Prime Minister Najib Razak, or now former Prime Minister Najib Razak, was uh, likely to win. But instead, we have an earthquake. Um, the uh, 92-year-old former prime minister who led the country for more than two decades oversaw its economic modernization, Mahathir Mohamed, is back on the scene. He's been sworn in. Um, the opposition coalition won a stunning victory. Um, but there are a lot of questions ahead. Um, and there's been a lot of discussion about this uh, in the uh, Asian press, in the Southeast Asian press, certainly. And you've written a lot about this. But um, the results of the Malaysian election, I think, raise a lot of interesting questions about the direction in which the country is likely to head. Um, Mahathir has said that he's likely to hold the prime ministership for two to three years. Uh, we'll see if he's still around when he's 94, 95 years old. Um, I guess he looks fairly energetic for a 92-year-old leader. Um, he actually becomes mm-hmm. the world's most, um, uh, the world's oldest uh, elected leader right now. Um, but Prashant, I wanted to turn it over to you since uh, this is really, you know, your wheelhouse, um, and you've written a lot about this. Um, what's your, you know, what was your initial reaction uh, to the results of the election? Yeah, I mean, I I think you summarized it quite well. I I think the first thing to say is that this is a it's a truly historic uh, change. I mean, it 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 is basically the first real change of regime that the country has had since its independence, um, because the Barisan National and and UMNO were at the helm until up to this point. So I think that's the first thing to say. It's it truly is a historic change. The fact that you would see. Um, Mahathir at the helm now, back in power, Malaysia's longest-serving uh, former prime minister, um, and that he would actually form an alliance with uh, you know, the former deputy prime minister, Anwar Ibrahim, who he ousted um, during his time and his leadership. Um, the fact that you'd have these two allying against uh, Najib Razak to win an election, um, and that you would actually see the opposition triumph, and the fact that the government actually respected the results um, is something that I think is truly historic. Uh, I think you know this the the thing to keep in mind, though, is that some of this sort of inspiration that folks are talking about about people triumphing and and the ballot box and you know really change coming from the people needs to be sort of tempered with with kind of a dose of irony and 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 also realism, right? Um, the fact is that a lot of the issues, problems, and challenges that we saw during Najib's leadership, um, the seeds were sown uh, during Mahathir's tenure in power, right? So during, I mean, he, he ruled Malaysia for over two decades. And a lot of the things that we saw happen under Najib weren't necessarily caused by Mahathir, but uh, the seeds were sown. Right? The, the erosion in the country's institutions, um, whether it's, you know, the strength of the, the sultans or the strength of the judiciary, um, which, which came to the fore during the 1MDB scandal, 
that Najib was implicated in, a lot of that, you know, happened and started under Mahathir. And, and we, and I think Malaysians for a long time, um, you know, sort of were, were of the impression, you know, would Mahathir ever cede power? Um, because you saw a lot of repression, um, you know, a lot of repression of democracy, a lot of human rights violations during his leadership as well. Um, and so I think as the opposition triumphs now, you're seeing a lot of this uncertainty permeate um, in, in those circles as well. Uh, for those who know Malaysia well, questions like, you know, will Mahathir actually, as you pointed out, you know, cede power to, to Anwar and step aside? It looks like, you know, he, he probably might. He realizes that the situation is very different from when he uh, left power. Mm-hmm. But I think that sort of marks that, that sort of... Um, uncertainty that still remains in in Malaysian politics and I, I guess the the other part of this is what you uh, what you brought up which is you know what does this all mean for Malaysia's uh, foreign policy right right um, under under Najib you know he's a very sort of strategic uh, thinker and so even though you saw a lot of issues in domestic politics you still had Malaysia forging a very sort of a good relationship with the United States a lot of leadership abroad regionally now that you have the removal of, of this prime minister, who actually is, you know, quite sort of foreign policy minded and is a member of the strategic elite, right, the son of a former prime minister, what does this mean for, for Malaysia and its foreign policy going forward? And I guess that's something where you have seen, as you pointed out, this, you know, talk about China and, and, and the United States and where Malaysia is on that. So I guess that might be another topic of discussion that we can talk about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the model that really came to my mind after the election victory um, was actually the Sri Lankan elections in uh, January 2015, when, you know, you had a uh, similar result, a bit of a surprise, a new leader coming out saying that, or, you know, in this case, an old leader, but uh, coming out and saying that, you know, he would review uh, the former government's dealings with China and uh, expressing skepticism about the terms of those deals. Mahathir certainly has done that. Um, but I think, uh, you know, in, in the past few days, he's also tempered his language, saying that Malaysia won't be unilaterally kind of abrogating any agreements if there aren't any, you know, serious issues that the government uncovers. Um, but that's interesting. I mean, you know, my my general impression, um, and I have a column coming out about this uh, at the South China Morning Post soon, uh, is about... Um, you know, I sense that it's actually quite unlikely that we'll see Malaysia, you know, enter some kind of serious period of uh, diplomatic rebalancing towards China, at least off the bat. Um, there's a range of reasons for that. Um, you know, I think uh, you actually wrote about a couple of these as well. Um, is that, I mean, so first of all, you know, let's stay on domestic politics for one second, because I actually have an interesting question that I think, you know, you might be able to shed some light on, which is that um, one of the interesting things about this opposition coalition um, that one, uh, and I think, you know, we see this in the ongoing cabinet formation process, is that I think, you know, little united the various strains of this opposition apart from their dislike of Najib. So now it's the question of, you know, now that they've won the election, um, how cohesive will the agenda be? Will there be, you know, internal infighting um, among this coalition um, that, you know, helps them build something for Malaysia that goes beyond, um, you know, dealing with the scandal-ridden former prime minister? Um, and I'm not too clear about that. So that's the first place mm-hmm. where I just see, you know, um, a foreign policy agenda being kind of maybe, you know, further down the agenda. Like the new defense minister seems to be primarily concerned with, um, you know, the military's materiel and personnel and those issues and less about, you know, something like the South China Sea, for example. Um, so, you know, generally I'm a little bit of a skeptic that things are about to uh, really get um, 
crazy for Malaysian foreign policy. Uh, but I don't know if you uh, agree with that or want to add to that. No, I, I think that's that's really important to, to keep in mind. Uh, the point you brought up about the fact that, um, as we've seen in other uh, countries um, in, in Southeast Asia as well, um, the fact that you have an opposition come to the fore that, that may overthrow a government or form an alliance against a particular leader doesn't mean that that momentum will kind of sustain thereafter. I think you're already seeing signs of that. Um, last week when Mahathir announced initial cabinet positions, there was a lot of infighting among the opposition saying there wasn't adequate consultation. It, um, he was actually attempting to sort of announce more cabinet positions than he actually did. Um, and those cabinet positions came to the fore, I think, just 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 recently. And they didn't even name a, a foreign minister, I think, so far. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I mean, it is an indicator that there are sort of deep divides that remain uh, within the opposition domestically. The other thing is, I mean, one of the big questions that um, we should really talk about, too, is, I mean, the opposition is one force, but Amno Najib uh, is gone uh, politically, but there's always been this conversation in the last few years about what a post-Najib Amno would look like, how the, the ruling coalition would basically reinvent itself under a new leadership. And I think that there is a potential for that to happen now. The fact that we're seeing, you know, we've essentially seen a decade of where Najib's leadership has kind of taken Amno to a diminished position. So now that we have him out of the picture, will the party actually reinvent itself? And mm -hmm. that's another thing that is important to consider in Malaysian politics, because I think if you're an optimist, you, you can sort of think, well, you know, the will of the people has demonstrated itself. But if you're a little bit more sort of realistic or a bit more pessimistic, the view on this is, I mean, how much has had to happen before the opposition has, has already come to power, right? So you had to mm -hmm. have the one MDB scandal, you had to have all these economic issues, you had this ethnic and religious issues permeating. And and then you also had to have Mahathir basically come back to engineer this sort of um, final victory for the opposition. And I think the question on most observers' minds is, I mean, if, let's say, Anwar would have stood instead of Mahathir, would the opposition have gotten so many votes from, from the Malays, particularly from the rural areas? I don't know, because Mahathir's name recognition is very significant in the country. He's a very unique figure. So that's something that I think we'll, we'll kind of have to see how it goes. But I do agree with you on 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 the China point. Um, uh, you know, as I as I pointed out um, at the diplomat, you know, the the relationship between Malaysia and China is not the. It's often presented as the fact that Najib was engineering some sh sort of shift uh, in Malaysian foreign policy towards China. You know, Malaysia was actually the first country at, at the, the in the sort of then formulation of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations to formalize ties with China back in 1974. Um, it's always been a country that's been bullish about engaging with China, even though it tries to balance that with countries like the United States and, and Japan, including because of the South China Sea. So there, there really is a lot more continuity there. Um, and with respect to the change, it's not going to be very easy for Mahathir and the opposition government to unwind some of these projects in cooperation with China, in part because, you know, in some of these cases, the Chinese are actually presenting uh, a good set of propositions for the regime's legitimacy and and any regime would welcome uh, some sort of engagement with china now there might be some renegotiation of the terms because of what we've seen in the election and some of the rhetoric but i i, I sort of do agree with you there that you know we, we will see a lot more continuity than change in that front yeah yeah um you know, yeah the more <laughs> i think about it uh you know there are a few reasons 
for uh, for thinking that. Um, but also, you know, I mean, you look around the region. Um, I mean, broadly around the Asian region, and, and a lot of um, you know, a lot of smaller countries. And you know, Malaysia obviously is not an economic non-entity. It's quite mm-hmm. significant. But you know, um, it, anywhere with you know these uh, contested electoral processes, I think expressing skepticism about China is is, is starting to become more of a more of a trend. I mean, at least, you know, among populist leaning figures uh, who, you know, are maybe growing more aware of the Belt and Road's pitfalls, uh, looking at the debt equity swap issues in some other parts of the region. So it's not necessarily surprising to me that, you know, it became an important component of Mahathir's kind of pre-election uh, rhetoric on foreign policy. But, you know, like I said, I mean, I think we'll have to wait and see how much this actually ends up playing into the country's foreign policy. Uh, but, you know, you made a very good point on, on Mahathir's kind of familiarity to so many Malaysian voters. Um, you know, I think uh, what a lot of people expressing their excitement about the election results, at least, you know, non, non-Malaysians were uh, maybe a little bit disappointed to learn is that, you know, this guy is the same, you know, a strongman leader who led the country for two, more than two decades under Amno, mm-hmm. and now he's back leading an opposition coalition. But that doesn't mean that, you know, we, we have kind of, you know, Anwar um, as, as prime minister already. Uh, he's he's received his royal pardon. Um, he's out. So that in itself is a, uh, you know, an important component of what Mahathir had promised the opposition, the bargain that had led to their, um, you know, this this kind of motley crew uh, coming to power. Um, but, you know, the next uh, two to three years, I think, will be quite critical uh, in terms of, you know, where all of this is expected to go. No, absolutely. And I, I, I think the other thing to keep in mind is that, um, you know, Malaysia's uh, domestic challenges are, are, are extremely significant, right? So when Mahathir was first in power in the 1980s, Malaysia used to be talked about um, along the same lines as South Korea, um, as, you know, one of the sort of tiger economies in, in, in Asia. And now it's it's sort of a, a country where for, for, for really for a few decades now, people have been talking about it in the sense of this is a country that's not realizing its potential severe structural economic challenges, you know, a lot of racial and ethnic imbalances and, and issues that need to be addressed, including, you know, sort of affirmative action policies for, for the Malays. A lot of these things are, are structural. There's There are things that um, you hear a lot of election rhetoric about, but the opposition, just like the ruling coalition, is going to have to grapple with these tough challenges. It's It's not going to be an easy road for for any kind of leadership and it's something that will take a long time to to resolve and mm-hmm. i think you're you're also right to point out that this this kind of trend towards you know um fierce anti-china rhetoric during the election it is something that we're seeing in in several countries i think the the sri lanka example is a good one the other one i'd point out is myanmar um where you you did see um, some opposition towards China manifests itself in terms of infrastructure projects and, and the like. And the thing to note there is that, you know, these things are not static, right? So if you have opposition coming up against the Chinese, as they did in Myanmar, as they do in other countries, the Chinese have actually proven quite adept at adapting their own behavior in response to some of these populist pressures. And so I think one of the things that would be interesting to watch with respect to Malaysia is, you know, how do the the Chinese deal with this new government? Because over the past few years, it it has been interesting to note that the Chinese have already begun uh, meeting with uh, some Malaysian opposition figures. Um, And so they, they 
they are, I think, prepared for a range of political scenarios in these countries. And it is interesting to watch this play out um, across the Asia Pacific, not just Malaysia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I certainly think the Chinese are a little bit more humble about, you know, democratic processes after their own uh, misjudgment Mm -hmm. of the U.S. election in 2016, obviously. So I think they're hedging their bets uh, in a lot of countries in terms of talking to the opposition. Um, Let me ask you uh, one more question about foreign policy before we wrap up the discussion. Um, Tell me a bit about what you think might happen with Malaysia's role in ASEAN. Um, Does Malaysia become a more more outspoken country on certain issues and less so on others? Does it basically remain the same? Do we still see more continuity there? Do you see any kind of um, possibility for friction with Singapore, which is something that people have talked about with Mahathir coming back? how do these issues uh, play out in your mind? Yeah, I, I think that's very much um, on the radar of um, several of these countries. Singapore, first and foremost, as you mentioned, because during Mahathir's uh, leadership, Malaysia-Singapore relations were a lot more tense than they were under Najib. And so I, I think there are various things to consider. One is, I mean, there is this sort of doomsday scenario that some folks have been propagating about Malaysia turning inward and not really focused as much on foreign policy. You had uh, a former prime minister now, Najib, who was actually very, as I mentioned, a a strategic thinker, thought a lot about foreign policy, really got it. And so in spite of the country's domestic challenges, it was very active uh, in terms of foreign policy, talking about Malaysia's middle power role, um, more than happy to sign on to regional initiatives and the like. Is that something that we'll see a reversal of? My sense is, I mean, Malaysia will will continue to be involved in the foreign policy realm. It's something which, and particularly in ASEAN, it's not something which Malaysian foreign policymakers really have a choice. They they really have to help shape the environment that they're in. Otherwise, they find themselves on the receiving end of some um, really significant challenges. But where I think you will see uh, some change potentially, and a lot of this is dependent, right? So. Even if we say, um, let's say that Mahathir doesn't give up power, right? Um, and indications are he will, but let's just say for, for the sake of continuity, um, a lot of folks have been going back uh, to what Mahathir did when he was in, in power. Um, but that is important to remember is now 15, 20 years ago. Malaysia is a very different place. The region is a very different place. And so I think what you will see in Malaysian foreign policy is is a sense of trying to stabilize, because the opposition is going to try to deal with a lot of these domestic challenges, try to stabilize uh, relationships with neighboring countries initially, try to build out uh, a range of relationships with important countries like China, like Japan, like the United States. And also, um, the the key variable here will be how those domestic politics evolve, right? So the, the, the current regime will try to stabilize things domestically for a year or two and get its domestic priorities there. But I think the real test for Malaysian foreign policy in the region will come when the current government faces a legitimacy crisis and where will it use um, to get this kind of legitimacy its foreign policy sort of credentials, right? Is it a test for the new government with respect to Singapore, with respect to China, with respect to Indonesia? These are, I think, the questions that remain for the current government. But I I do think, you know, as we've discussed with respect to China, we will see um, a lot of continuity because Malaysian foreign policy, you know, across the decades since independence, there's there's always been very clear trends about, um, you know, not aligning too closely with one power or the other, and also making sure that ASEAN is kind of a cornerstone of the country's foreign policy, and also 
ties with neighboring states because you you uh, as the Chinese like to say right you you can't really choose your neighbors so <laughs> All right, Prashant, I think you've left us with a lot to think about here. Um, so thank you for that. And mm-hmm. thanks a lot for joining me as usual. Yeah, good to be with you. Great. Uh, for our listeners, if you liked what you heard on the podcast, but you haven't yet subscribed, please do so. And if you've been a subscriber for a while, but you haven't left us a review yet, please do that as well. It really helps get the word out about the show. Thanks a lot for listening. And we'll be back next week with more.